What is up, podcast listeners? I got to be honest, this was one of the most energizing conversations I have ever had. Rocky Howard is the Chief Diversity Officer for Smart Recruiters. Got to give a shout out to Jerome and that whole crew over there. But Rocky is just somebody who I just just vibe with. She is funny, humble, down to earth, confident as who she, you know, who she is and where she came from, but also at the same time, just shaking things up in the world. She came from the South side of Chicago, as she described a little bit of the hood and went through just living one of the tough lives, uh, you know, growing up in that area, but then, you know, grew up with a single father and made something of herself and just is somebody who has so much positivity, so much energy. We talk about faith and that's important to me and that's important to her, which is awesome and just a fun, you know, bit of the conversation as well too. But I'm just so inspired by everything that she's doing. I also got to give her a lot of love and and smart recruiters as well for the fact that they are shaking things up, obviously in helping organization hire diverse talent and hire and help diversify their workforce, not just from a, let's sprinkle a little bit of diversity on the top of things, but how to actually come around side as an organization and think through your diversity strategy, think through how to make it actually a part of your business. And that's something that's just near and dear to my heart and a a wonderful thing. Uh, There's also an assessment attached on this as well that you can take if you're an organization. It's completely free, brought to you by Smart Recruiter to help you go through those things. And Rocky put a ton of work in uh, to all that. But I just got to give so much love to Rocky. She's phenomenal. And I just had an absolute blast uh, with her on the show. So Rocky, thank you so much. Keep being you. You're changing the world. Rocky, thanks for being a guest on the show. Matt, I am so excited to be here. We're going to cause some trouble together today. So let's see. Let's get this party started, right? Yeah, I think this is one of those situations that it's a good thing we have maybe a finite amount of time because this would be an all dayer and we'd probably get ourselves into some trouble, which is good. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. And I'm pretty stoked that I'm talking to a fellow Midwesterner. So uh, I'm currently literally staring out behind me at snowfall. And I think you got away from the snow, if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Hey, man, I'm down in Jacksonville, Florida. It is um, yesterday when I went to take my dog out for a walk. It was 79 degrees. Come on. Uh, (laughs) It's funny. My husband said that's why people hate Floridians, because everybody else is under snow and and we're walking around in T-shirts and shorts. Right. But I'll tell you, Chicago is my hometown and uh, it always owns my heart. Um, And you can take the girl out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the girl. Right. So (laughs) so south side of Chicago is my hood. Yeah, so is that that's where you're originally from, right? Absolutely. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago, met my husband there. Um, my husband is from Indianapolis. And, you know, like when faced with a decision of moving to the suburbs of Chicago to raise kids, I'm like, hell, we may as well just move to Indianapolis because I like city Chicago. Um, I spent 20 plus years in Indianapolis then took a series of job moves. So I spent a couple of years in Toledo, Ohio, um, and then made it down here to Jacksonville. So we've been down here for about seven years now. You truly, between Indianapolis, I mean, you got to throw in maybe maybe a Detroit, maybe a little Grand Rapids, yep. but between yep. Indianapolis, Chicago, Toledo, you actually covered the Midwest. Like- <laughs> major hub. So good for you. (laughs) I did. And look, I know that you um, hail from Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. I, I, so this is a funny story. Good plug, by the way, that actually, no, people are like, oh, you're from Ann Arbor. That's cool. But if you throw in hail from, you know, that, that means you actually know what you're talking about. So yeah, buddy, like I love Ann Arbor, but this is how I got hooked into Ann Arbor. So I have, um, had a Chase bank account for God knows how many years. And the one thing I like about Chase is there's a Chase everywhere you go. I can be international traveling and there's a Chase machine. Um, And there were Chase machines in Toledo. They are like, fun fact, there is no Chase branch in Toledo, Ohio. The closest Chase branch, which let's face facts, we don't go to branches very often, nope. but when you need one, you need one. The closest Chase branch to Toledo, Ohio is in Ann Arbor. <laughs> so it's, it's funny you say that I'm literally dealing with this as today. I, so I live in Holland, Michigan. Well, just sold my house in Holland. I just bought a place in Grand Rapids. Our bank is in Holland and I get occasionally some older customers mail us checks the bank that I need is 
45 minute drive that I have to either, and I can't because of some security reasons, take pictures. It's a nightmare. So I feel yeah. your pain. I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it only had, like there was only in the two years I was there, I only had to go to a branch twice. But the first time I went up there to Ann Arbor, I fell in love. So we would go up there. We would go to the farmer's markets, go up there and have lunch. You know, it, it. It, it's a great place. It's a great place. Yeah. All right. So I want to, I want to dive in a bit. So let's, let's, let's open up uh, the, the South side of Chicago. So you mentioned can't take, take can't take the hood out of the girl. Did you, is it safe to say that you, did you grow up in the hood? Was it like, did you, what was, what was the upbringing? Give me, give me the background on that. Yeah. So it's really funny, right? Like I really did grow up in between middle-class neighborhood um, and then moved into the hood. So if people know the area, I spent some time living at 51st in Michigan. Um, and then when I thought I was real grown and would go get my first apartment, I thought it would be a good idea to move on Madison and Pulaski, um, where my dad thought I needed to be strapped. <laughs> so yeah, like I, I'm a, I'm a hood rat, right? Like I, um, it, it, it is amazing to me when I think about where I came from, right? Like I am a, a sister that grew up in Chicago. I'm a college dropout. Um, my now husband knocked me up before my 21st birthday. Hmm. Um, and, and I've gone from that to living my dream life for being an executive for a global industry leading tech company um, and doing my dream job, which is really to change the world of diversity at the intersection of diversity and recruiting. So it's, it's, it's kind of crazy when I think about where I've come from, but I never forget about that because it keeps me focused on where I'm going. So do you think you always had that in you? I mean, the fact that you're, you're, you're living your dream job and it means something to you, but also it's like, you kind of have a badass job, right? So like, you, you like, oh, yeah. like, glo like globally recognized badass job. And so is that something that you, like you as a recently pregnant before you're pre like, did you feel like you had something like that in you or did something in life change? And all of a sudden you're like, I'm, I'm going to go do it. Like what, what was the, have you always been a self-believer? What kind of fueled that? Yeah, so I'll tell you, that's a really great question. Um, one of the ways that I identify is as a Christian, right? And I hey, went- that's we, we, we share that, so I, yeah, I like that. Good deal, right? And uh, I, I had a, we could do a whole episode on my crappy lifehood, my lifetime movie, uh, young growing up story, right? We won't even go there today, but there's a whole nother episode that was very traumatic. And I think through that, God always told me, I have a purpose for your life. Mm. I have a purpose for your life, right? And so I was very clear that I was not going to give my power to those circumstances um, and that I had a purpose in life. And so um, that purpose evolved over time. Right. Yeah. And the purpose became much clearer, both through my personal circumstances and those that I had the ability to impact as I moved along. Right. And so oh, no. it's kind of crazy. Right. Like I've been working since I was 13 years old. Uh, like, no kidding. Like for those who were your, are were your parents part of your life. Um, so my um, this my dad raised me as a single dad from the time I was 13 and the only mom I ever knew arguably today, we could see that she was struggling um, with her mental health mm -hmm. and she had custody of me until I was 13. And it was a really abusive situation and it was not good and it was not healthy. Um, and if you think about like, I'm 52. So my dad taking custody, my dad raising me from the time I was 13 back in the eighties, that was not a popular thing for a father to have sole custody yeah. of, of a, of a girl. Right. Um, and it's a lot of lessons learned. And it is one of the reasons why I consider myself to be bold, brilliant, and badass now. Cause I, I survived all of that. Right. I love that. So, so you, you felt, you felt from the beginning, uh, God had a, uh, God had a purpose for your life. I'm putting you on the spot is, but was there, was there a moment that you first heard that you're like, yep. Yep. I know he's speaking to me. Was there, was there a moment in your life that you were like, I know God's got a plan. I, I don't ever remember not knowing, to be yeah. honest. Um, there were some really tough times where I doubted it. Um, I'm not going to lie, but I can tell you, like, the first moment I remember being able to articulate that, um, I was 17-ish. Okay. And my best friend, her mom, um, 
and and her mom was incredible. Like I spent more time at their house than I did my own. Her mom had seen me go through quite a bit of abuse before I went to live with my dad. So she knew what was sitting behind the scenes. She worked, she was a teacher in the public school system. And I remember her one day saying, you are so positive. And I know, like I, I can see all the crap. Right? We're not in like, person. I can feel it. I, right, I got a right. good, I, I got, I got positive like, vibes from this. Yeah. yeah. She was like, you know, I've seen the crap. So I, I've got students that have been through much less than you have who are, have taken steps that are much worse and, and had, and are not like a 10th as positive. And if I could take that and bottle it, I would. So tell me what the secret is. She was like, really, honestly, tell me what the secret is. And that's the first time that I remember clearly saying, I know God has a purpose for my life. Come on. Um, and I you didn't really, plan to preach, but uh, you're preaching a little bit. Yeah, I, like well, it. You know, I, I, you know, hey, I'll, I'll take a pulpit every now and then. But <laughs> I, I remember that moment and, and I can hear like I can literally still see the conversation. I could see it like it was yesterday. Yeah. But I think that's the first time I, I think that there were times when I was going through some of the crappiest moments of my life that I heard a whisper that just kind of said, hang on, I've got a plan. Hang on. You. It's going to be OK. Have faith. Right. Yep. And and those of us who are Christians know that the faith only needs to be the side of a size of a mustard seed. Yep, it didn't yep, have yep, to yep. be a big faith. I just right? got, I'm just hanging on just a little bit, just by a thread. <laughs> thread. Just, just, just a mustard seed. Um, and so, you know, but but when I was 17 and had that conversation, that was the first time I think I remember saying it out loud and I remember feeling it and I remember believing it. So Love I think. It as I've gone through tough times, even as an adult, I hang on to that faith that God has a purpose and a plan for my life. And uh, so you know what? He's, 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 he's not disappointed me. He's never done. He never does. And he has provided for me exceedingly and abundantly over anything that I could have imagined. I love it. So uh, I got to ask, where's, where's the name Rocky come from? Yeah, buddy. So now <laughs> you really want to get into the story. So <laughs> come on now. <laughs> uh, I met my husband when I was 19. Okay. Um, and we have so now been together 33 years in August. We'll celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Um, we have, thank you. We have four kids. Um, but at the time we were dating, my, my given name is Rochelle. And, and when he, we were dating, he started calling me Rocky and I, <laughs> wasn't quite sure if it was a compliment or yeah, is that a good thing does that mean i'm just like, one of the boys or what yeah, does that mean <laughs> like, and, and i'm a tomboy like i roll with the boys right but i was like this isn't what i want this man to think like actual <laughs> am i in the friend zone or what's going on here what's going on here and uh it stuck right but here's the problem so like the, for those of us who recruited back in the day, pre-LinkedIn, pre-social media, we had to actually pick up the phone and call people. And when you pick up the phone and you leave a message that your name is Rochelle, first of all, they're like, how do you spell that? Is it Rachel? Is it Michelle? Like it, it becomes kind of a blobby name. Like they, they butcher it. When you call and say, this is Rocky, it was a conversation starter. So I started using it in the business. And as a matter of fact, if you said to someone, I had Rochelle Howard on my podcast, they would go, who the hell are you talking about? I don't know that chick. Mm. Um, but it's stuck. Now, here's the funny thing. To this day, my husband will not call me Rocky. And to this day, he has never given me another nickname because I gave his nickname to the world. So, I love that. So is, yeah. uh, is he, uh, does he call you Rochelle? Is that like pure? Yeah, he, um, when he doesn't just say, hey, you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you got the babe, hey, you, the whole thing. I get, I get all that. But like Rochelle, he, he, yeah, he calls me Rochelle. He calls That's me Rochelle. amazing. Yeah. So, so I, I, you, I don't know if this is a linear path or if there's others like you in the field, but I will say, you know, hopping right into the recruiting field, was that like, was that, was recruiting your first professional job or what, what was your, well, well hold on real, real quick. You dropped out of college. So were you recruiting? Like what, what, what did yeah. you go to college for and how did recruiting start in all of that? Yeah. So that's, that's a funny story and it, all stories lead back to Raymond Howard. Right. But we'll come back to that in a minute. So, like I said, I've been working since I was 13 um, and I've been out on my own basically since I graduated high school and um, but Chicago ain't cheap. And I was no. working retail. And at that time I was working two jobs just to make 
the ends meet, right? Like no kidding. Like I was working two jobs and trying to go to school full time and it was just too much. I failed out. Right. Um, and so I, I had someone approach me. I'd been working for like a bakery restaurant type of place at fact too. like who the heck works for, I was working for a bagel place and, a, and, and this boating bakery and I'm trying to make it all ends meet. And um, someone from a, from Payless shoe source, a district manager from Payless shoe stores was one of my clients and, or my customers. And he came in and he said, you need to come work for me. Um, so I entered Payless's manager training program you know, got some stability to my income, et cetera. Um, you, think, you think he saw something? Do you think he saw the positive in you? What do you think he was? Yeah. Yeah. I think, look, and to this day, like I, no matter what I do, I'm a recruiter at heart and yeah. my husband will laugh at me because I'll go into a store and he'll be like, I know her card is about to come out. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just like, she's about, <laughs> she's, she's about to switch. Yeah. Um, I think good customer service is an art. Mm-hmm. And I think you get to see people who truly go the extra mile, get to know people. You learn lessons about being under stress and pressure when you're under retail that stay with you for the rest of your life. And so I think retail dogs can recognize when someone's got that something, right? So it's, it's, it's so refreshing to hear you say that. So my company, my video interview company now, the idea came from, I used to own a landscaping and lawn care company, meaning the chubby neighbor kid at 15 that pushed mowed lawns. I love that. So- I had like about 10, I probably hired about 20 employees through the, I started and had a chance to sell it, which was awesome. But I hired a bunch of people to work for it. And to me, I didn't care if you knew how to mow a lawn or weed whack. I cared, can you shake my hand? Not as applicable today, but can you shake my hand? Can you have a conversation? Can you take the headphones out when the lady's yelling at you because you mowed the lawn too, whatever it is. If, If you could just do that, I can teach, I can you, teach the you the rest. I can teach you the rest. Jinx, jinx, so, jinx, man. So that's, that is exactly. So it's so it's so refreshing to hear you say because that's that's the whole long the premise to my business today is where that that whole idea came from. So I, I warms my heart. It it's warms true. My heart. It's really yeah. true. And so um, he came in and recruited me and I went to work for Payless and I loved it. Like I love the job. I love being with people. I love interacting. Nice uh, yeah, I did. I, 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 I was truly a poster child. I think I owned every shoe in the store. Well, I see a couple of shoe posters in the background. So apparently I that's love, it. <laughs> I love shoes. I absolutely love, love shoes. Love right. That. And um, I got to work in a neighborhood where I got to use my space. Spanish skills. Like it was a great job and I absolutely loved it, but here was the deal. So I told you I was knocked up pretty early. And so I was pregnant with our now 30 year old daughter when our store, my store got robbed for the umpteenth time at gunpoint, but I was in the store. And at that point, the cocky kid who says, oh, I'm bad, I can live through this. Now you're responsible for someone else's life. And you're saying, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, th- this is not going to work. Um, and so at the time, my, my uh, now husband wasn't then, and I had made some decisions about where we were gonna live, how we were gonna live, um, what that interim period was like. And so we were in the middle of a transition And I had about four months before I moved with my husband. I wanted to stay in Chicago. I wanted to stay with my doctors. I had had some issues. And I don't know if you can tell, but it's very hard for me to sit still. Right. And I'm and with the, you. We should be we should be walking and talking doing this. No kidding. Like the concept of of sitting at home doing nothing for for four months about drove me crazy. And I didn't yep. have to go work. Um, you know, but I couldn't sit home. So I went to a temp service and said, look, here's the deal. I'm knocked up. I'm moving in four months, but I need something to do. Do you have something that I can do? <laughs> Talk about a resume opener. <laughs> Literally. Um, I guess the one thing is I I'm just pretty honest, right? And so they said, look, we're kind of looking for a receptionist. We're not sure if we want to have a full-time one. Are you down? And so that was with a company called Talent Tree. I sat in their front front desk. I was their receptionist. And 
I got bored, right? This, is still, I, this I, is still in Chicago, right? Yeah, I'm still yeah, in yeah, Chicago. Yeah. It was in Rosemont, right? Yeah. And so literally I'd sit at the front desk. And and if you guys think old school temp days, <laughs> the busiest day is Friday when people are literally, yes, there was a time before direct deposit where people actually came in to pick up their checks. So that was the busiest day. During the other days, you know, you'd facilitate interviews, but there was all this gap time. So I started spending time with the recruiters and saying, well, what are you doing? You know, that's interesting blah, blah, blah. And then I figured out like, I could talk for a living (laughs) and I could help people and I could make damn good money doing it. Count me Uh, in. Yeah, sign me up. Hi, nice (laughs) to see you. (laughs) I'm all in. And so by the time I left, they were saying, are you sure you don't want to stay? We'll make you a recruiter. But my plans were obviously to follow my now husband. Um, And and so the first job I then pursued was a 360 desk recruiter job. Um, And I started as what we called a data processing recruiter. Uh, back <laughs> you were in, in big day. data before big data. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. So um, yeah, like that's how it started. And it's so funny because if you ask a hundred recruiters how they became a recruiter, y- you'll get a hundred different stories, but that was the beginning of, of my career. So what, what today would you say reigns true? Like a, a skill set of a good recruiter back in the day, quote unquote, I still think you're 28, 29, but back in the day, what do you think is a skill set that still is true today? And what do you think is completely different? So if a recruiter walks in the door, yeah. you know, 20 years ago and says, I want a job, what skills are you looking for? That's the same. And what's, what's different today? Yeah. So I think one of the skills that I actually believe is the same that we've gotten away with is actually having conversations with people and not only just doing the interview to check off, oh my gosh, I've got this open job rack. Do they have a four-year degree? Do they have this? Do they have that? It's about getting to know that person, what their skills are, what their competencies are, what their drivers are. Why are they looking for a new job? What's going to be important for them? Um, What's going to be important to them? What's their value? value prop. And I don't think enough recruiters today spend time doing this. I think social media has made us a little bit lazy, to be quite frank. Yeah. It's 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 part of the hunt. Um, I do think, I do love the fact of social media now, though, because when you think about the new tools and the tech, you think about video interviewing, you think about how far applicant tracking systems have come. What we have done is we have put a system and we've optimized performance and how quickly we can move and fill those. And we understand a lot more about the recruiting process and how we can add value to our clients. Um, And we can build a better pipeline and we're allowed to communicate with them better when you look at CRMs and the implementation. So you can do more of a one-to-many versus a one-to-one. You know, I came up in the days where it was really sexy when we got our first fax machine, right? (laughs) And I, I also remember taking the phone book and making my hundred calls a day. By the way, that's one of the things that I think, I think a good recruiter can make a hundred calls a day and a hundred calls is much different than sending a hundred emails guys. It's so so good. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's so true. I mean, I I think anybody who's actually gone through the process of picking up the phone and cold calling, that's somebody you want to hire because they've been through it. They get it. They understand it. hundred emails is totally different. hundred calls. It is. is. hundred calls. Right? I love that. Yeah. So, so recruiting, you, you get down the track. Now all of a sudden you're like, I, I'm not going anywhere else. I'm sticking in the recruiting world. What's next? What? So you're in Indianapolis, Indianapolis. What's, you know, what's the yeah. next, what's the next step? It's really funny. So I think about the first time, um, that I had something really smack me in the face with this, this, this diversity piece. And I was in that very first recruiting job. Right. And, and again, I'm loving it. Right. Like life is good. You know, by this time I'm, I'm, I'm married. I I'm about to have a second baby. Uh, Things are really, really good. I love the people I was working with. I love the people. um, I love the gig. Um, But I remember having a client 
who I won't disclose that, that who that company is, but I still remember it to this day, yeah. who had been working with me over the phone and we set up an interview day for them. And so I had sent them multiple candidates. I took the time to knew this, know this client. I knew what they wanted, sent them multiple candidates. And I got a call from my client at the end of the day that said, yes, there's a few of these clients were really good. Rocky, we, we like these, blah, blah, blah. But don't send me any race, any more racial epitaph type of candidates. Huh. Now, here, here's a couple of things that I want to shout out about that experience, right? One, this is this is pre-LinkedIn day. So so it was shocking to me that he had made this assumption that I wasn't black right. and could have this conversation with me. It was shocking to me that in 1990, 1991, um, because I was still very naive that there were people who simply didn't want to interview people because they were black. Um, That's I was going to ask real quick. Was there any gender? There was no, no like this was. This is strictly black, white, not, not. Yeah. And there were candid, there were, it w- it was, his issue wasn't about gender. It was sure. about race. Got right. It, got it. Yep. And, but what made me so proud is when, and I was pretty shaken, right? Because yes. as a yeah. recruiter, you make your money when you make placements, but I got to tell you, my integrity is much more important than money. Right. Yep. And so I went to my boss and I was like, if you need to fire me, you need to fire me, but I can't do this. I can't work with this client. And I, I'm not going to call this candidate back and tell them this, et cetera. What I so appreciate is my boss said, and we don't want to do business with a company who thinks like that. So we're going to fire this client, but do you want to have a little fun with it? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Do you want to have a little fun? Yeah. He's like, let's go on a client visit. So we went out to the client site and if you could have seen the receptionist face when I showed up and said I was Rocky, it was amazing. Right. And so um, I think that's the first time where I started consciously thinking about, wow, something needs to change and I can be a part of it. And I think because I did see things differently as a recruiter, I could see skills and candidates because I didn't have a bias that maybe other people did. We all have biases. But then I found myself in a situation where um, I could advocate for people across all dimensions of diversity, not just being black in a different way than maybe some recruiters could. And that was really, really important to me. So, um, but what I did find out is because I would always be willing to walk away from business, um, I probably wasn't cut out for the 360 cutthroat 90s world. This is a high-paying customer, do what they say sort of thing. Yeah, Right, like that wasn't going to work for me. So, you know, where my career took me as I moved from there into like, um, I've, I've worked in every area of recruitment you can imagine. So I did I did temp, I did perm, I did retain search. You know, I've been on the corporate side. I've done grad recruiting. I worked through all of those different places. If I were to, if, if, if I were to say, Hey, we're going to have one day, a little competition, cold call, go recruit the best we can just for fun. What would be the one you would go back to for a day or a week or some, if you were to step into a competition and just ring the bell, who can get paid the most, have a, have a fun day. What, what would you, I'd still go back to my general employment days. Like yeah, I'd yeah. still go work that 360 desk for a week. It, yeah, 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 there's yeah. nothing like it. <laughs> Ring the say, gong and do it up. Yep, a- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Because there's not, there's no better feeling than ringing that gong. Right. No yeah. better feeling in the world. Um, but I think that's a hard answer for me because I've loved all of the times and all of the places and all of the impact that you can have. I truly believe when you give someone a job, you change their life, you change yeah. their trajectory. And I always took that very seriously. And that's what it was about for me. Um, and so uh, interestingly enough, as I was going on this journey, I was working for a major fortune 500 um, company. Um, And I started out in their grad recruiting space and running their grad recruiting program in that particular region, and then got an opportunity to move into project management, right? Um, And interestingly enough, that changed how I saw recruiting. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I did that stint in project management. It was very successful. I did the project management training, didn't do the PMP, but have, have project management certifications. And what I found was, I was like, this is a great gig. It's not what I want to do long-term. I love being in the recruiting space and I love driving those outcomes. Um, but when I came back into recruiting um, from doing that project management stint, it changed the way that I looked at recruiting um, and it gave me a different skill set. Um, so, so that was, that was a really interesting place to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, what would you say was the biggest, you know, red light, green light? Well, I mean, what was the biggest shocker to you that all of a sudden maybe, maybe new information or what, what ultimately do you think was the biggest change? So I think about when you think about project management. I also have lean certifications, right? So I think if you think about kind of project management and lean optimization, and then you look at what the recruiting process is like, there's a lot of just chaos and foolishness in it. And it still exists today. But certainly back in, you know, kind of the early 2000s, no one was really stopping to talk about how do you optimize the recruiting process? No one was talking about candidate experience, right? And one of the first kind of um, pillars of project management is to do a needs requirement, right? And really understand what your clients need and make sure that when you're bringing people along the project, you're trying to meet that goal? And then what are the steps and what is your time frame and what's your reverse critical path of how you get there? So, you know, what I find in recruiting so many times is it's, I need a window washer. And then you ignore the fact that the hiring manager says, I need a window washer on Friday because we've got a million dollar gig. And if I don't have this window washer by then, we're going to lose money and reverse critical path. And then your actions are done based on that. You, you just back in the day, you just keep doing what you're doing. And if the window washer didn't show up, they just didn't show up. Right. So I think this is the first time where project management skills, um, I had spent time working in warehouses. So I knew, you know, what those lean and six sigma principles were. And that all started to come together. And I started to go, there's a different way to lead these functions. And there's a different way to look at them. Well, that's, I mean, it kind of makes me think about the, the transition from actually truly like cold calling style recruiting to now, obviously you are in the HR technology space. And so was this the first step for you into that? The way you looked at kind of not only the actual, Hey, I need to put this person here, but the infrastructure that supports that transition. When was your first sort of taste for, I guess, HR tech as a general principle? When did that happen? Yeah. So I think it it happened in two ways, right? So I came out of when did you, um, what, what, what year was, or how old are you when you first used your first like applicant tracking system other than uh, Excel? Jeez. Cause Excel is the OG of applicant tracking. Yeah, baby. Anybody um, who says differently is wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You know, I would probably go back to 98, 99 in right. that area. Right. So, I mean, you, you've seen, you've been able to see the kind of zero to one, some game of no, no other than a cell or other than a landline phone to the sophistication of what smart recruiters is today and what all the other platforms are today. So you've seen that. Absolutely. Which is why I'm proud to, to work for smart recruiters, because I got to tell you some of those applicant tracking systems that were around in the nineties, <laughs> you guys are still using today and you need to change. So call yeah. me, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So it was this tech in this process. And, and so I took this curve And the curve was facilitated by a really poor experience I had with a a company who was winning all these awards around diversity, right? Um, And I'll I'll take a quick turn there to take a a couple of turns back, right? So I'm working for this company that's getting all of this press about being one of the best places to work for diverse candidates. At the time I wore dreadlocks and was asked to interview for a promotion and during the process was asked if I would change my hair. And I ah. said, absolutely not. Yeah. And at the end of the day, didn't get the job because the manager didn't believe that my look was professional enough. And I had dreadlocks before um, now where I think there's a lot more awareness and 
um, acceptance around natural hair. Um, and so my response to that was to say, okay, peace out. I'm, yep. I'm leaving. Um, and then I went to another company who I loved working for. And then I discovered corporate politics. I was in my first middle <laughs> management job and I'm running. Why do you think I consistently work in small companies? <laughs> hey man, I hear you. And I remember calling my hubs and saying, yeah, dude, like you got to figure out how to raise these four kids on this sucky middle management salary because I figured out I don't like politics and I'm not going to play them. And so therefore I'm always going to be stuck here. So like, this is where we're leaving. And um, at that same time, I was working on outsourcing that company's TA function to an RPO firm. And so the way I approached that outsourcing, you know, I, I brought all these firms in and I brought them in for a day and walked them through. Here are our stats, here are our processes, here's what we're looking to accomplish, da 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 da. Walked them through, fed them lunch, but spent four hours kind of saying, here's our end game, here's what we're looking for, here's our drivers, here's what the data tells us. And um, every one of those RPO people called me on the side and said, you, you don't belong in talent acquisition, you, you belong in RPO. Um, and I honestly made the move to RPO because I thought, I don't like politics. I could go manage an account. When I get tired of one account, I can, I'm, I can go to another one to and yep. it'll be cool. Um, but I think honestly, I had found the marriage of all the things that, um, all the experience I had had. So I think when you think about RPO and driving outcomes for other companies, the project management, the lean, the Six Sigma, the recruiting, um, and the passion around diversity all came together. And quite frankly, when I hit RPO um, and made that decision that this is my value, this is what I bring, my, my career started to skyrocket, of course, with the help of some great leaders and some great mentors. So you're at Smart Recruiter now and you're leading uh, basically the whole, is it global initiatives for diversity and inclusion? Yeah. So, so it's, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, I was going to say it's really cool. So while in RPO, I got to lead global teams yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and got to have a focus on diversity and um, got to lead the way, right? And so when I left my previous company, I had been acknowledged as a top 100 minority executive for outcomes. Come on now. Thank you. It was, it was exciting, but it really wasn't about the recognition. It was about what the, rec was, the, the recognition meant. And the, the recognition came on the back of being able to build a team that at one point in time had 52% cultural diversity, hmm. um, about 15% LGBTQ, about 15% vet, 50% women. And it, just, it was for, just for audience references, what would be a standard team's, uh, you know, diversity, like what would be a standard team's breakdown of those? Their mixes. Yeah. Um, companies right now are striving to get to 30. They're striving like that's their, right They're They're striving to get to 30. I think what you typically see, um, depending on the industry, et cetera, you see, you know, cultural diversity anywhere from <laughs> yeah, five, yeah, 10 yeah. percent to, to, to whatever. And it depends on your and it really, you know, like there's not a standard answer. It depends on what industry, what you do, what level you're looking at, et cetera. Sure. Um, but that I'm was a, that was good stuff for us. Well, I'm, that's remarkable. And so you're, you know, hypothetically pretend you're speaking to a CEO of a small little tech company. What, what, <laughs> what you know, hypothetically, of course, not that, you know, I'm asking, what would be, what, what should I aim for? And I know that's a very, very wide open question, but, you know, we're, we're looking to go from a team of six to a team of 15 quickly. And then a team, I mean, obviously we're hoping to grow like crazy. So yeah, you're scaling up. And, and while we're in that process, that's, obviously something that's important and in the midst of it. And how do I, you know, what, what advise me yeah. hypothetically, of course, all hypothetically. <laughs> I am so glad you asked that question. <laughs> I've got something for you, man. Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what, honestly, it's, it's really funny because as I have these conversations from a diversity perspective, I think so many small companies go, yeah, I'm not ready for that. I can't do that. How does this apply to me? And I think it's the perfect time for small companies to start to 
embed diversity into their very culture and their processes and how they move forward and how they look at their brand. Because if you do it now, you're going to be 10 steps ahead of the competition who now is turning around and correcting things that they didn't do in the beginning. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. So part of the work that I do at Smart Recruiters is um, I'm, I'm so lucky to work for a CEO who believes that we have the ability to change the world. And at Smart Recruiters, we want to help people have better diversity out hiring outcomes. Um, and we really want to eradicate discrimination and racism from recruiting altogether. And so I have spent the last couple of months building out what we call a diversity hiring framework, right? And so when you think about that framework, that framework consists of four um, stages of maturity that companies go through as, as they're building their muscle in terms of diversity hiring. But it's built on four success pillars that I think gets to the heart of answering your question, right? So as you're thinking about your company now, I want you to think about what's your diversity brand equity. So if I want to come work for your company, when I look at your website, when I look at your content, do I see myself represented? Um, if I'm a differently able candidate, what's the experience I'm going to have coming through your process? Are your job descriptions something that are bias-free? Like all of those things, you want to start to create diversity brand equity now, right? Yep. Um, I think you have to source strategically, right? So like, Diverse candidates aren't just going to fall out into the sky because you want them to. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you've got, you know, you and I know what it's like to source. And so you have to have a tailored sourcing plan, build that diverse hiring community, right? Like, don't just say, oh, I have a list of candidates. How are you engaging that community? What partnerships do you have that are that you start now that might be with you forever and ever? Amen, right? And I know this might not be as relevant right now because you're small, but as you grow, think about how you're engaging your diverse internal talent. Are you making yeah. sure you've got a fair and equitable process or are you so busy focusing on how you grab turn it, diverse talent from the outside, you're forgetting about the people inside and how you promote them and how you grow them, right? Overall, have fair hiring processes, right? So can you diversify your hiring team, right? Like, there's no, I can't tell you how many people have said to me throughout my career, I made a hiring decision because you were on the other side of the table and I could see somebody who looked like me and I could relate to. Hmm. So can you diversify your hiring process? You know, what's one of my favorite features about our product, our, 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 our product with Wedge is the ability to take a video interview that's been completed and share it with another team member for that very reason. And that's yeah. something that we take a lot of pride in. And again, I, not, not to be pitchy or anything, but that's, we take a lot of pride in to say, look, majority of bias that happens is a one-on-one -on -one conversation, be it Zoom, be it in person, be it a handshake, whatever. Invite somebody else into it, even if it's nothing else to fact check you, but to get more eyes on it, to get more opinions, to get more stakeholders. And that's like one of the things I'm the most proud of and the impact that that's had too, I think. It, so I, I, I love this. Absolutely. And not only that, but don't just do it as a check the box exercise. Yep. Empower that person who's on your interview team, who it maybe comes from an underrepresented group. Empower them to be able to challenge the bias of the other people in the interview process. Give them that power right? Yeah, Have a structured interview process. Are you measuring people on the same playing field, right? By a nice ATS like smart recruiters. <laughs> hey, 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 right? And we will let you set up those scorecards, oh, yeah. right? And, um, but it is important, right? Like we all suffer from affinity bias. Like, yo, Matt's from the Midwest. We both love Ann Arbor. Therefore, Matt is qualified for He's my He's going to be a great salesperson. Right. But... And one doesn't have jack crap to do with the other one, yep. right? So if you set up those scorecards and have some ways to make data-driven decisions that support your interview process, that scorecard can be key. And then look, here's the bottom line. And the one thing I would say to you 
as a person who's leading a business today, if this is, if you don't have organizational support and this isn't embedded among all of your leaders, then it's never going to work. So it's important to have clear, specific hiring goals. It's really important to have leadership accountability. I say for bigger companies, like honest to goodness, every leadership every or every business problem that's ever been resolved, it's because someone's performance and their bonus was tied to the resolution of that problem. Um, do you have ongoing training, not, you know, some legal compliance training once a year that says I've taken anti-harassment, but how are you training your hiring managers, your executive leaders yeah. and people in your organization to really be advocates of all dimensions of diversity? Like for me, you asking me, like, that's the secret sauce and holistically smart recruiters, because it's we want to make industry change. We have just launched um, a free assessment that any company can take. You don't have to be a smart recruiter's client. Um, and you take the assessment, it takes about 20 minutes. It has a hundred plus questions. But on the back of taking that assessment, what we will deliver back to you is a report that says, here's where you are in terms of your maturity level against those four pillars. And here's where you are against our standards. And then you'll get a follow-up report that says, okay, so I'm at a level two, I'm diversity talent invested, and here are some very specific things you can do. It's your <laughs> diversity hiring blueprint so that you can move things to the next level. So I, let me make sure to get the, uh, that's that's free, that's a free assessment you guys want. Absolutely. Try. Yeah, let me make sure I'll include that in show notes and we'll, we'll get that out too. I wanna make sure people get get that. So that's, that's phenomenal. So what, that's one thing that I, you know, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart that I obviously want to be somebody who, number one, I feel absolutely called to being a vendor in the video interview space, but also in the talent space to be one of which that's bringing, you know, the most remarkable talent, but diverse talent as well. But the other thing as a leader, I don't want to be in a position where it's like, okay, we're good. You know, cash flow is good. Investment's good. Clients are good. Now let's sprinkle some diversity on and fix it. Right. But I actually have it be a foundation, a part of the, the, the entire process. And I, it feels like there's we're, we're, we're starting to make those transitions as a, as a in corporate culture. And we're not obviously part of corporate, but it feels like that's starting to shift. But I know there's a lot more work to be done, but something that that's uh, important to me. So, yeah, I appreciate that because I think these things change one commitment, one decision, one conversation at a time. Yeah. And this isn't one person's problem. It's all of our problems. And I think when we stand together and say, I'm going to be committed to growing a company where all dimensions of diversity are not only welcome, because diversity cannot exist in a vacuum of equity, inclusion, and belonging. Yeah. So I'm not only going to hire diverse talent, but I'm going to create a culture where that diverse talent can thrive. Um, we used to say in my own organization, we liked complimentary crazy. I hired, I appreciate all special brands of crazy. That's why we're friends, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate special brands of crazy. And as long as it's complimentary crazy, it's this concept today of adding to the culture. You don't yeah. have to be a culture fit, be a culture ad and culture ads come in all dimensions. So you ready for a tough question? Sure. So I am, I'm just going to overly generalize a couple things. I am a young tech CEO. People think I'm rich. I'm not, but people, you know, being a tech CEO, people think I'm rich. I'm white and I come from an upper, upper middle-class family. I'm kind of in a lot of realms. A lot of people hate that background to some degree because I, I, I'm very blessed. How can I, and not just me, but I know there's others out there. How can I have a supportive voice in this conversation without coming from it? How yeah. can I be one that supports it, but also it's like, oh, you're just trying to do that for blah, like, no, but like how, how, how can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you know what? First of all, the fact that you care about it and you're genuinely asking the question hmm. is the first step. Um, at Smart Recruiters currently, we're going through inclusive leadership training and the training that we're doing is based on a book by Jennifer Brown um, and it's called How to Be an Inclusive Leader. Hmm. And one of the things that we talk about and Jennifer has this wonderful continuum of how we progress as inclusive leaders, right? But one of the quotes that I love that's in the book, it says, this isn't about judgment, this is about opportunity. And don't be afraid to ask the 
question and be transparent about your story, be vulnerable and ask people, show up at the conversation and say just that. Look, dude, I'm not going to pretend to be you, Rocky. I am not from the hood, yeah. right? I am not a black woman. <laughs> um, you know, none of that is my story, but that doesn't mean that I don't stand with you. So tell me how to help. How can I support you? Yeah. And I think people of all dimensions of diversity appreciate a genuine support. Look, we're never going to solve the issue of discrimination unless we have allies of every color On both sides. and every perspective of and both sides. Even- sides thing it's all right yeah it's not so i think the best thing i can say is like for those people who are listening who harbor the guilt let go of the guilt let go of this perspective that you are a good person yes you're a good person but you you still have to stand up and and be willing to be vulnerable be willing to make mistakes right like be willing to say the wrong thing and have someone correct you and go oh well wow i okay i didn't know so they'll teach me some more be curious be genuine be authentic. I love that. I love that. So favorite question of the planet. And I think we probably got to schedule podcast two, three, four, because we're going to riff. We got a lot to, we got a lot to riff on, but um, favorite question of the planet is what does it get you out of bed in the morning? And I, I think, I think I want to add, there's one more bit to, I want to add too. If, if, if you had, so let's say, I hope this is not true, but let's say we did this one podcast and we never talk again. What's the impact you want to have on me in that, you know, if you get to meet somebody for an hour, what do you want to leave them with? So yeah. number one, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Number two, what's the impact you want to leave with people? Yeah. So I think you just honestly in asking the second question had a perfect lead into what gets me up in the morning, <laughs> right? I love to have impact. It's important to me to have impact and it's important for me to impact um, real things in people's lives and real people. Right. And so whether it's in my role as a wife, a mom, a chief diversity officer in my volunteer work, I want to have impact and I want to have positive impact. Like I believe in approaching every day and being blessed, awesome and productive. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets me out up in the morning. Right. And the fact that I have built a skill set that might be able to help change the world. Because I believe if we change the trajectory of the underserved, we change the world. And if we hear the voices of the underserved, we can change the world one conversation, one story at a time. So I will do a quick plug there Mm -hmm. for my new podcast called The Voices of Diversity. And it's really about telling the stories of what it's like to be an underserved person in corporate America. And I believe if people listen to it from that person's mouth and hear it, you, you, you won't want to stand by and be part of letting something like that happen. And so if there's anything that I would want you to take away from this conversation is you don't have to be part of an underrepresented group to have significant impact on that group. Mm. You can help change the world and you have a platform um, not only here, but in, in, within Wedge. And so go change the world <laughs> one conversation at a time. Love that. Come on now. Um, I'll make sure to include uh, the, the link to the assessment as well. And then uh, also link to your podcast. But I guess, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, like, look, ah, this was so much fun. <laughs> Matt, I appreciate you. I like, <laughs> there are just times when you get on the phone with someone and you're like, yeah, that's it. And this has just been a great conversation to our audience. If there's anything I can do to help and support, you know, um, Matt will have the links to me on social. I, I typically am on LinkedIn. It is a great way to find me. It's Rocky with an I. There's, there's, there's not too many of me. I'm a it, it pops up quick. <laughs> it does. It does. It does. Love that. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being a guest on this episode. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su- subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, 
or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Map Action Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.